Hello and welcome to another episode of State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, we've made it to Thursday. We've now made it through one week of this new season of the podcast. Yeah, great to be back on the, this beautiful Thursday morning. I uh, can't wait to wrap up another week, and we're uh, just a few days away from homecoming, Eugene. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited. We talked about it a little bit last time. We're going to start off with that. We're also going to talk about a few standout quotes from Villanova's Media Day, a couple of Mikhail Bridges things, and, of course, we got our fan questions and things to watch for this weekend. But, man, homecoming right around the corner, a couple of days away. I'm excited to see what changes have happened around campus because it sounds like it's been a construction zone over there. Yeah, it, it has been. I, I've been a couple of times in the past year, but like not. It, I feel like it was still early in a lot of this construction phase. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how exactly it, it looks now. Yeah, can't wait for that. And <laughs> I'm also excited to see Kyle McCloskey make his first career start. Doing so as a true freshman, we talked about it on Tuesday. Mark Ferrante oh. has decided to go with the young gun. I'm pretty stoked on that. Yeah, this is a, there's a football game going on. We, uh, that always kind of goes under the radar, which is the whole point of homecoming, I feel like. But, but anyway, yeah, no. Classy's first game against a uh, pretty good team, nonetheless. Before we dive into the numbers, there, there are a couple interesting bits surrounding this game. I mean, first off, Elon's defensive coordinator, Tony Trishiani, he actually used to be an assistant coach at Villanova. And he was there for five years. He helped coach up the secondary. He was a secondary coach. And he took the job this past offseason, making the move for Elon, who just went through a huge renovation in his coaching department. Yeah, this when we were in school, the secondary was probably the best part of the defense. And then he really built up a repertoire amongst the uh, FCS uh, elites. And now he goes to Elon, gets a big-time defensive coordinator job, and is basically one of the reasons why Elon has had such a turnaround season this year. There was a lot of hype around Tano Passigno, but obviously we saw what he did with that secondary. That secondary, during the time we were there, was really lights out. We actually got to see how good that secondary was while he was there. Yeah, we saw him build it up from basically scratch and turn into an, an elite secondary at that point. It was prone to lapses, but which secondary wasn't? Villanova's defense was great all, all our four years there, and it still is today. So the game itself, the Elon Phoenix, I remember when they first joined the CAA. It was our junior year, 2014. They were trash. Trash! They had a real rough first year. I think they only won one game. During their first three years in the CAA, they won a collective of seven games. Not that impressive. They're coming off of a two-win season. They get a new head coach, a new coaching staff. Trishiani moves over. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming in red hot. Six and one, undefeated in FCS play. They've won six straight. This is such a huge turnaround. Big kudos to that coaching staff. It's not easy to turn around a team, let alone do it so quickly, especially in one of the toughest conferences in the FCS. Yeah, I was about to say, it, this is the CAA, which has been dubbed the uh, SEC of the FCS. And the fact that new head coach Kurt Signetti has been able to turn around this team, like I said, basically scratch. Like, you're building up something <laughs> that was absolutely horrendous just as a couple of years, just as recent as a couple of years ago. Now you're sitting up six and one, you're going on the road against one of the more formidable teams in this conference in the past couple of years. I know that kind of been a down year, but that's because due to injuries and what whatnot, but it's still a formidable foe. If the Phoenix sneak this one out, they, they got to be thinking playoffs. <laughs> like, like you got to be kidding. That's, that's insane. Yeah. They haven't played James Madison yet, but if you win this battle of top 15 ranked teams in the FCS, you got to be feeling pretty good going the rest of the way. 
and eventually you'll play James Madison. You got to be hungry for that game. You got to feel real good, especially with such this turnaround season. Winning six straight, you just want to keep that ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Do you happen to know if they have James Madison at home or on the road? James Madison is actually the last game on their calendar. So not only are you hyped because you get the defending champs to close out the season, but you're doing well. You can actually do something. You can actually make some noise potentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got three games after this one leading into the James Madison game, and you have them at home. You can really catch them off guard in that. I, I feel like Elon would be favoring that, but I, I know Villanova podcast, so we should, we should start focusing on the game. This will be a battle of freshman quarterbacks, two freshman yeah, quarterbacks. For the Phoenix, they got Davis Cheek. He was recently named the CAA Rookie of the Week for his play against URI, leading a second-half rally to the comeback win. This season, he's completed – just under 63% of his passes for 1,193 yards, 10 TDs, and five interceptions. Not that bad, especially for a freshman guy. He's doing pretty well. He's mainly a pocket mm-hmm. passer. Chris, what, what do you know about his favorite targets? Well, there's three of them. There's the big three over there in Elon. Uh, they go by the names of Corey Joyner, Trey Lennon, and Cortez Weeks. These guys account for almost 70% of the receptions and combined for just under 1,000 receiving yards. So basically what Eli Manning wanted out of Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham, and Brandon Marshall, and he subsequently killed all three of his receivers, has now ended up at Elon with Joyner, Lennon, and Weeks. All right, come on, the Giants sensitive spot, sensitive spot. I thought I I could escape (laughs) Giants banter and criticism by being on this podcast, but here we are, it still haunts me with such a letdown of a season. Well, you know, Eugene, you could just make fun of broken collarbones and for days, and I will just instantly get sad. So it's okay. You you, got, you have your return fire. You just choose not to use it. I would never wish injury among anybody just because knowing my recent streak of the last couple of years, I'm pretty injury prone. Yeah, yes, we. Uh, you have had your fair share of uh, DL stints, but it, it's okay. You've gotten through it. We're, we're good now. It's funny because – well, no, it's not that funny because it, it's not funny. Elon, Elon actually – had their star running back go down with a season-ending injury. So last week, they had to debut a sophomore, Deshaun McNair. He he had his burn. He had his time. But that was his first real start, real stint as the workhorse. He did, pretty, he did a pretty good job. 128 yards and two touchdowns off of 28 carries. Jeez. That's uh, what? That's 12... 12 plus 12. Yeah, that's 24 fantasy points right there. So, hey, if you're playing fantasy college football... Pick up Deshaun McNair. But yeah, Malcolm Summers had over 750 yards rushing and 40 Ds before his injury. I mean, it's a, it's a big blow, but obviously you don't know what exactly you have with McNair yet. But still, look for Elon to run the ball at a pretty staggering pace considering McNair got the ball 28 times. <laughs> so so they'll, they'll be ground and pound, but even if they do decide to air it out, those, those big three receivers, they're going to try to make their living over the middle the field. They're definitely going to have to work. Those three guys, that trio of receivers, Villanova does have one of the best run defenses in the nation, in the FCS especially. They've been doing pretty well so far overall. These three guys, they're, they're going to have to work. This freshman quarterback is going to have to work. The defense is still very formidable, even though the Wildcats have had their fair share of the injury bug, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Given all this, how do you like the Wildcats' odds? I mean, this is a battle between the number 10 team, number 13 team. Villanova's had an extra week to prepare with the bye. you got a new freshman quarterback coming in under center to start. How are you feeling? Oof. I got to make picks again. I was horrible at these last year. Oh, boy. 
Yeah, I, I'm not feeling too great about this one. I hate to say it. I, Elon's a damn good team. Look, we looked up the stats before the podcast, and I've looked up more stats now. Like, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, not to mention Villanova's former coach is <laughs> now the defensive coordinator over there, so the, he kind of knows how they operate. I know they probably changed a few things since he left, but he, he knows relatively most of how the team goes. So, I, I don't know. A new, new quarterback hasn't really had his game feet on their own. At least Elon had their their freshman quarterback is game tested so far. But then again, Villanova is home and that's really a big thing, especially in football and especially in college. I don't know. If I if I had to pick, I I, I would probably go with Elon, to be honest. I'm gonna go the other way with this. I'm gonna actually wow. because Villanova does run the same defense and yeah, Trishiani's gonna be very familiar with what Villanova does. I mean, it is basically the same system, even though it's under Mark Ferrante. Sure, a couple of things have changed. Players are different. But I think with a freshman quarterback, you kind of imagine that he's been probably going against the base defense Villanova runs, 3-3 stack a lot in practice. So he's probably familiar with how that defense works. He's got an extra week to prepare. Granted, you know, two weeks to <laughs> go from benchman to starting QB1. Obviously not enough time to get your game feet under them. I think we're going to see something similar to when Zach Benarzik first took over for Villanova mm-hmm. after John Robinson got hurt. There was no tape, no expectations. No one, knew, no one knew what was going to happen. It was just a man on a mission, and he balled out immediately. I think Elon is going to be caught off guard. I think that defense is going to shut down the Phoenix, and I think Villanova will win probably a one-touchdown game. It'll probably be pretty close. Yeah, no, fair. Low, low scoring, too, I, I would say, right? I'm thinking like 14-7, 14-10 type ordeal. Yeah, I think I think we're going to see at least one defensive or special teams touchdown. That's definitely okay. going to be or, – or at least maybe a play where Villanova gets the ball deep in Elon territory after a turnover. Fair enough. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be whoever's defense steps up. Whoever's defense makes the most plays is going to win. Once again, kickoff is at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. Homecoming game. Limited tailgate this year, but I think it'll still be a lot of fun, and it should be a really good game. We're we're getting we've been treated with some pretty good homecoming matchups the last couple of years. We have, yeah. Last last year was Tano's coming out party, and then the year before that was the Robertson game, right? Uh, the, not Robertson, the Narza game when he led them to that comeback against Richmond when we stunned. I think Richmond was like number six or number nine at that time. Yeah, they were highly ranked. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, hopefully that this uh, streak continues. So we're going to shift the focus to next door, or I guess technically across the street, that little street, over to the Davis Center, which had Villanova's media day the other day. And before we get to that and some of the quotes that we got from there, I just want to bring up something that slipped under a radar a little bit. So there was a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer where basically is a profile on Mikhail Bridges and his defense. Jay Wright said, quote, he's the best I've seen here since I was an assistant with Gary Massey. The 1987-88 Big East Defense Player of the Year. He can get so many things done. Just his ability there defensively at the next level makes him very valuable. End quote. The best defender he's seen since 1987. <laughs> yeah. Um. Sure. <laughs> no. I reading that quote when he when he says he's the best I've seen here. I was like, wait, we're best player. Well, well, I was like, okay, Jay, let's let's take a step back. The best wildcat. Best wildcat. Sorry, best wildcat. Best. I mean, def- yeah, best defensive player. 
Yeah, too. best defensive right. I, player. I thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought you just meant overall player. I, I mean, defensively, I, it's not that far-fetched. Let's go with that. I mean, I can't – just off the top of my head, I can't even think – I can't really think of, like, a defensive stalwart Villanova has really had. Final Four team in 09, they, they played defense, but it wasn't like they brought someone in specifically just for defense. I guess Shane Clark to an extent. Dwayne Anderson a little bit. And then like those 05, 06 teams with Foy, Alan Ray, and Lowry. Sumter was good underneath, but uh, it wasn't like a defensive stalwart. I, it's really not that far-fetched at all. I would say you might be actually right. And, you know, with Bridges' seven-foot, one-and-a-half-inch wingspan, which basically makes him a pterodactyl, he, he can cover so much more than what your average defender can. <laughs> yeah, his wingspan is absolutely insane. I was looking up some wingspans just around college basketball, just some random players. And a lot of guys his height have wingspans of about, like, 6'10", 6'9". Got the extra inches there to really, really make a difference. I mean, that length... You can't coach it. You can't coach his body frame of work. Right. It's pretty interesting. And I guess, yeah, you know, he probably would be up there. If we had to have the quote-unquote Mount Rushmore Villanova defenders, he's right. definitely – he's probably George Washington or, like, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Or Abe, yeah. I mean, even, like, in recent years, they really haven't had a like, defensive-minded guy. I mean, Tony Chenault was, but he wasn't as a complete player as Bridges. Villanova. So, Villanova. Stop. <laughs> Don't bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's probably like, like the best player on like five different teams in like the past five years. Throwback to after he announced that he was going to leave the week after he was wearing his Villanova jersey around campus. <sighs> like we said on Tuesday's episode, there are a lot of rankings, lists, polls around this time of year. Mm-hmm. They're going to spring up, some credible, some not credible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up another list for you. This one's from ESPN and Draft Express, Jonathan Gavoni. He lists Bridges as the top junior prospect for the NBA draft. I'm going to give you a few names, a few notable names that, that he beats. He's sure. listed above Shake Milton from SMU, Alonzo Trier from Arizona, Ethan Happ from Wisconsin, Brian Crawford, Wake Forest. He's on the Bob Cousy point guard list jesse govan from georgetown and Kyrie thomas from creighton those two guys were also on the list repping the big east so top junior prospect really <laughs> i mean perhaps more of a he's a better player in my opinion but i don't know if Hap's game would translate well to the nba and as i said i think it was, was it tuesday's episode i don't i don't remember or it was the first episode. I said Bridges has so much untapped potential, and I think that appeals to a lot of NBA teams. And now that the NBA cares about defense for a little bit, where they'll actually give defensive assignments to one player and one player only, everyone else can just go play uh, silly ball. I guess, yeah, he he would make the most sense for a lot a lot of NBA teams, like the Spurs, come to mind for that. And I mean, Houston would love to have them just because they need somebody to play defense over there. But yeah, I, I mean, looking at these names, like I don't really recognize a lot. Like Shake Milton, I honestly have no idea who that was. Jesse Govan, like I didn't realize Georgetown was still eligible for anything. Kyrie Thomas is eh. Brian Crawford, I've heard get hyped up a few a few times just because I have a friend. I graduated with a kid from high school who was a walk walk on on Lake Forest, so he's I've seen him hype him up on Twitter. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess so. I mean, and you don't really see any top-end prospects like in like junior and senior classes now. 
just because everyone's a one and done. So, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. In terms with his NBA potential, like you said, defense is the biggest one. And in a league where they don't have any and the only highlights are th- high-flying throwdown, alley-oop dunks, Harlem yeah. Globetrotter-esque. Like I was watching <laughs> about five minutes of LeBron playing point guard and getting hyped up on ESPN, and it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like it seemed like everybody was open. <laughs> and while yeah. everyone was giving LeBron a lot of credit, honestly, he just found a guy that was open on the weak side and just pitched it to him. Yeah, because no one, no one tries. <laughs> yeah, everyone just no conserves their energy for offense. They know that that's how they get on TV. Yeah, exactly. It's how they get on TV, and that's why they're getting paid. No one's getting paid to play defense anymore. I mean, honestly, like Tony Allen, like that—that's it. Anyway, if like, is he on the Grizzlies still? I don't even know. Like, he's yeah. the only guy that ever comes to mind. And then Kawhi Leonard to a little bit of an extent, but literally nobody else plays defense. Tremendous. Yeah, it's like uh, Avery Bradley, oh, Tony Allen. Him. And Andre Roberson. Like you said, they're they're like defensive oh. specialists in the NBA. You don't even need to be that good yeah. at offense anymore. If you can defend, you will find a job in the NBA. If you're athletic, can defend, you can find a job offense. Hopefully it grows later. So I think that's what they see in Bridges. I mean, right now, offense seems to be the biggest knock on him, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to the next level. Do you think he can improve, fulfill a bigger spot if called upon? See, I can see him stepping into a bigger role, yes, but I don't know if he can exactly improve. I mean, his numbers last year were pretty crazy, 39% from deep, 91% free throw shooting. I feel like the free throw shooting is kind will kind of stabilize. His freshman year stats were relatively low. I think he was in he was in the 70% for free throw and for free throws and 29% I think from deep. I feel like both seasons are kind of outliers. So maybe free throws percentage, he's probably at like 80, 85 in reality. But I can see his three-point field goal percentage dropping. I, I, don't, I just don't – like I don't see him shooting above 39%, but I don't see him going back to 29 So I, I expect some regression in that regard. So I, I can see him taking on a bigger role, scoring more points in that in, in that respect. But I don't see his numbers, his like percentages actually improving. Maybe the volume, the per game stats will probably improve just because he'll be more of a vital option and more you actually have to use him. So, but yeah, I, I feel like the numbers will progress a bit percentage wise. Yeah, I'd like to see what kind of role he has in this offense this year. What was surprising to me was even though he started for a majority of the season, he took the sixth most shots. Like his usage rate was the sixth highest on the team. So you had guys coming off the bench who had a bigger part in the offense, a bigger hand in the offense, which was a little mm-hmm. surprising to me. But one thing that did impress me the most was Mikhail Bridges from inside the arc is completely lights out. The guy shot a touch below 70% from inside the arc. That's absolutely insane. That was top mm-hmm. 10 in the NCAA He's not even a big man or a center, and usually that's usually it's the guys with the inflated numbers who just right. do layups all day. Right. Yeah. No. 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 You're right. Uh, but dude, I don't really think he shot that many mid range shots last year. Just off the top of your head, like, do you remember him being more of a mid range guy, or I, I, I've kind of viewed him as more of a driver. It, it, it's probably like remember in Space Jam when Michael Jordan just extends his arm. <laughs> oh yes, that, that's what it's like for <laughs> Mikael Bridges. He just has go go gadget arms. That that is true. That is true. Just yeah, he, he, that's that's why his three point percentage is so good because he just has to extend his arm and he'll just drop it right into the hoop. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Yep, you're exactly right. <laughs> so at Villanova Media Day, we had. Three new few hoops reporters and writers get their first taste of some hands-on action. Shout out to Courtney Schultz, Dania Houghton, and Kaylee Smith. 
they did a great job. They attacked some interesting storylines, thought outside the box, and I, we're going to see some good pieces in the coming days. So keep an eye out for that. They also brought back a, a few noteworthy quotes that I just want to bring up to you, Chris. This first quote from Jalen Brunson, quote, The way we play, coach doesn't really want positions. Coach just wants basketball players. And once one basketball player comes out, another comes in. We're just going to play as hard as we can, no matter who it is, what the expectation is. We're just going to play hard no matter what. And <laughs> besides uh, the speak, thoughts yeah. on the future of basketball, this positionless game. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I mean, I hate – not that I, I hate, but, like, back in the day, like, it was always, like, you need to have a point guard who's no taller than 6'3". You always had to have a shooting guard who shot this percentage from three and small four, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, I, no, just throw your best five guys out there. You see this across a, a lot of sports as well. I mean, hockey in particular. You used to have guys who were just out there to punch faces, but now you actually have to throw out guys who are skilled. And I love it. I, I actually love that the fact that you actually throw out guys who are actually good and not just there to like fulfill a role and be tough and gritty and all that crap. If this versatility leads to like different types of plays, I mean, I'm all for a different type of offense and get creative. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I'm all for that. I would love to see that. I mean, Coach Wright said that versatility is something that this team has the most that compared to some of the teams from the last couple of years. You look at this roster, you have guys like Dante DiVincenzo, Eric Pascal, Mikhail Bridges. Those three guys can play very different positions. One yeah. through four, easily comfortably. I mean, and in yeah, Pascal's yeah. case, three to five. You have Omar Spellman. He can play out to the perimeter, even though he's a, a center. So there's going to be a lot of fun sets. I can't wait to see how, you know, the many different lineups that Jay might throw out onto the floor. One thing I know I want to see more of, I think he only really did it during that Notre Dame game last season when Jalen was hurt. But we got to see... Mikhail Bridges, run the point, take the ball up the court. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo-esque, very greasy. I liked it. I want to see more of that. It was fun to watch. Granted, yeah. it was only that one game, probably because he didn't really have another point guard he can rely on since Jalen right. was out, Phil was out. Dante was also on the floor at the same time. But uh, I, I would like to see more sets like that, something unique, something fun. You know, let's see, let's see what happens. I, would love to, I can't wait to see what he's going to do this year. Yeah, I, I really hope we see the Greek free offense. It, it, it would be pretty sick, especially early on, like against Nichols State. Why? Why the heck not? Why not try it then? I mean, I, I could, but that being said, I could totally see Jay just being like, "Oh, well, we got Dante now and Phil Booth and their point guards and wheel guards and all that stuff, so they handle the ball." But oh, come on, Bridges running the point, it would confuse everyone. I feel like you get more points just off the confusion, let alone the actual like play call. <laughs> yeah, always down for the fun, versatile offenses. Always down. And I would love to see more bridges at point. Uh, and everyone else, too. Honestly, I would love to see a, a huge variety. The more variety, the more fun it would be. Oh, so you want Dylan Painter running the paint every now and then? All right, let's call it. All right, all right. All right. Oh, to, to a degree. To a degree. So within reason. Within reason. <laughs> just, just calling your bluff. <laughs> don't, don't put Colin Gillespie at the four or five. Don't amuse me with a five-point no. guard lineup. Yeah, don't have him backing down defenders in the middle of Biggie's play. Let's uh, let's try to avoid that. But to a degree, I would like to see a lot of versatility, as long as it makes sense. <laughs> Another quote, this is from Jay Wright. We do have NBA scouts at every practice. I think they're just used to it. I feel like they've been around it enough, end quote. 
the Sixers must be really trying real hard. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would want to know. See, he said scouts, so I'm assuming that means more than one. Uh, some some teams must be traveling real hard to, to, to watch every practice. I would love to know who's going. Yeah, it's probably the Sixers because apparently Markel folds his shoulder is apparently like shot. So, hey, Jalen Brunson, come on down. You want to be a part of the process? Here you go. Here's the keys to the castle. <laughs> yeah, the Sixers are definitely there. I would not be surprised. I would love to know who else is there. But, you know, one thing I do like is that I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if it's bizarre that NBA scouts are going to every practice or if it's just more cool with the fact that they're just used to it. Like, it's like, oh, oh, it's the Sixers, Mavs, the Knicks. Oh, no big deal. All these NBA people just coming down to watch us. Oh, no problem. Like, I don't know what's more cool to me. I'm sure. Just imagine, like, if you were just reporting a local soccer game like you usually do, like, on weekends, and then all of a sudden, like, you got, like, John Skipper from ESPN just, like, sitting on the sidelines watching you, like, interview someone. Like, how, like, <laughs> like we, that would probably freak you out. But if I guess if it happens every couple of times and then you just tell me one day, like, oh, yeah, and I got some guys from ESPN coming over. They're just watching me report. Like, I, I would feel like, how do you deal with that? And you're just like, oh, you're cool about it. I'd be like, holy, holy crap. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. So I, I guess it's the same thing, sort of, kind of. Not really. But I'm, I didn't realize NBA scouts could be at practice. That I did not realize. I thought they could only be at games. I, I'm sure that there are, like, certain, like, time windows when they're allowed. But uh, yeah, I I do know I do remember hearing that when Jalen first arrived his freshman year, NBA scouts mm-hmm. was was like the regs. It was on the regular. Really, hmm. interesting. So we got three freshmen coming in this year. Jermaine Samuels, he was the highest rated guy coming out of high school, four star recruit from Massachusetts. Play the wing, very athletic, great finisher. Then you got Demir Cosby Roundtree, the first guy to commit. From the class of 2017, Philadelphia guy, played at Newman Garetti, a basketball powerhouse, which also produced Tony Chenault. And then there was Colin Gillespie. He was kind of a question mark going in because you saw this guy commits. You know, Villanova's pushing hard for him. But then you look him up, two-star, three-star recruit. It's like, what is, what is Jay doing? But then you see that this guy's getting buckets. You look, you know, their highlight tapes of him <laughs> dropping 42 on Demir Cosby Roundtree's team. And then you see that he's just tearing it up on the way to a state championship. And it's like, wow, you know, maybe the ra- maybe the ratings aren't like anything. Maybe they don't really mean much. I know how you felt off wax <laughs> about <laughs> the Gillespie recruitment. I mean, I definitely had my questions. Yeah. But <laughs> does this Jalen Brunson quote change your mind? Quote, mm-hmm. I love Colin. I love all three of our freshmen. Colin is doing a great job so far. I compete against him every day. He's a great competitor. I'm pretty sure no one had high expectations for him, but he's great. Honestly, the things I've seen online, I don't know where people got that from. Colin is a tremendous competitor, tremendous teammate who's doing a great job so far. End quote. <laughs> uh, okay, so... I'm glad uh, it does give me a little more confidence in him, which is at a very low point. But gives me a little more confidence that you know Jalen endorses him. That's cool. That's that's cool and all. But he says like competitor and all that stuff. Never says like he has like great move to the basket or great shot or whatever. He just calls him a competitor. To me, <laughs> that that goes into the cliches that I hate: <laughs> gritty, <laughs> tough, 
basically anything that can describe Arch. That, that is just like, oh, I understand like everyone's comparing him to Arch, point guard and what, what, whatever it may be, sort of local. And people are like, oh, well, you know, Darren Hilliard was a three-star recruit and he kind of turned out really good. And I was just like, yeah, he did. But I, I feel it. I don't, know, I don't know. I really don't know what to say. But I, I just, I think everyone's hyping him up and getting incredibly excited about him for no particular reason other than he resembles Arch and that he's a three-star recruit like Darren Hilliard. Like, I want to see him play first before really getting to make an assessment. I'm not bashing the kid at all. He's obviously got talent. He's leading his team to state titles and with relative heat. That that I got no problem with. <laughs> I understand he's a good basketball player. But the fact that a lot of this fan base, I feel like, is grasping at straws, just trying to make comparisons to people who came before, when in reality, why don't you just let the kid be himself first and see how he plays out to really make an honest assessment? It's kind of like, you know, the people in, when you have a fantasy draft and then they get someone at the eighth round or like seventh round, it's like, oh, I got the sleeper of the year. Or it's like, oh, like they get really hyped on that. Yeah. I will say. end up being a bust. <laughs> sometimes. And then you get the random guy who, because the, the, the starter got injured, he just goes off. Right. Seems like he's going to get a lot of burn this year. Mm-hmm. And especially if Phil Booth is still hurt, you can definitely expect a lot of burn. I trust Jay. I said it in this last episode. And just kind of looking back at past draft classes, I mean, not draft classes, uh, recruiting classes, you know, he gets the right guy for the system. The people, Fair. you know, it, he doesn't always get the, the five-star guys, but look at look at Josh Hart, look at Chris Jenkins. You know, they weren't five-star blue chippers coming out. In fact, they almost went to Georgetown or they wanted to go yeah. to Georgetown. That's true, yeah. but they were also in the ESPN top hundred. Colin Gillespie wasn't on any list whatsoever. No, I'm not saying the list is end all be all, but you know, people acknowledged that they were kind of good beforehand. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I, I don't know. I think I think we're just gonna have to wait and see first. It sounds like yeah. he's the right fit for the system. We'll have to see. Uh, and uh, and to your response about Jalen Brunson. I think he doesn't want to hype him up too much because he knows he doesn't want to lose to a freshman. He can't he can't have everyone no, be true. too hyped for a freshman in practice. <laughs> he can't be like, yeah. oh, Colin drops 40 on me all the time. Or, oh, yeah, yeah Colin, Colin really crossed me over in practice today. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, hey, you could say it and you know, make me feel better. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's not – I don't. I really don't have any – qualms with him as a like a prospect i i i think my qualms are more rest with the fan base how they're hyping him up to be like the next big thing when in reality he, we, we just don't know yet jalen i understood five-star recruit spellman i guess five-star recruit no one hyped up josh or chris jenkins when they first came you expected them to be good you didn't expect them to be first round material with josh hart and then chris jenkins basically Corey stokes on crack I will agree. I feel like I've heard way more Colin Gillespie love than like a Jermaine Samuels love or like Dada love. Like it just seems like the the only recruit I hear the most about is Colin. Probably, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that he is a Philly guy, but Demir is also a Philly guy. So uh, I really can't say, but I do see where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. Jermaine Samuels is like a big time get. Like you should be hyping him up. We should be talking about him more. But yeah, here we are. We spent the whole segment talking about Colin Gillespie. I just want to let you know that Jalen just gave a sound of approval, man. That's all. That's all. That's all. Just a seal of approval. That's all. Sorry. I'm sorry. Arch 2.0, baby. That's why he wears the number two because Arch (laughs) 2.0. Stop. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. 
Fine. <laughs> why isn't he number? Why isn't he number thirty then? He, he should be double what Arch was then. Because that's not two point <laughs> oh. We had a handful of fan questions. We might as well call this the Esteban Diamor and Ramon Usategi question hour, because they 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 sent us a pretty good barrage of questions. But I like I like each of them. I like each of them. Remember, you can always ask us your questions at any time. We'll discuss them on the show. Tweet us or leave us something in the comment section. The mailman will get it to us. You can always ask us anything. Ready, Chris? I'm ready. First question from Esteban. What do you think the crunch time lineup looks like? Who gets subbed in and out when we go offense, defense? Crunch time. Oh, all right. So I guess on offense, I guess the five would be Jalen, Phil if healthy, Dante, Bridges, Spellman. And then I think if they go and do offense, defense, I think you take out, I think it might even, I think you might take out Spellman and put in Pascal, or you take out Booth or DiVincenzo and put up and put in Pascal if you want to go big. I mean, obviously it depends on the, uh, on your opponent. So I guess if they're, if it's a more guard oriented team, I guess you can uh, sub out Spellman for Pascal on defense. But if you want, if it's more of a big, like, a, a, like Wisconsin where you got big guys underneath, then yeah, I can see him subbing out Phil or Dante with Pascal. What, what say you about that? I agree with your first lineup on offense. Jalen, Dante, Phil. I think you said Bridges, Spellman, right? Yeah. Bridges. Yeah. Bridges, Spellman? Okay. And then <laughs> defense, obviously got to keep Bridges. Can't. Yes. <laughs> Anyone who right. takes off Bridges on defense, they, they might go. They might have to coach like a JV team somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jalen's definitely on the floor. Even Chenzo's definitely on the floor. Spellman, I would keep. I would only sub Phil for Eric Pascal. That is that is the only change I'd make. I would keep Dante for sure. It's just change Phil. Okay. Fair enough. Even if it is like a more guard oriented lineup you're going up against? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, fair enough. Unless if you want Colin Gillespie in. Do you want me to say Colin Gillespie? Uh, no, 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 no. Watch him have like an incredible season now, just because we like said sort of kind of bad things about him. I hope so. I would love to see him. I, mean, I would love it. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, I I had my questions, but then I started watching way more highlight tapes, and just just from what I hear, I think I'm getting on the bandwagon. I know I know you're not on it yet fully, but I think I already took off after Big East Media Day. Yeah, I'm not on the bandwagon, not yet. If you can add one J Wright era player that played prior to the Arch Chef class, who would it be? Ooh. I saw this question yesterday, and I actually got excited about this. this is like this was actually a good, real good question because it got me thinking back to my favorite teams. <sighs> for this specific team, yeah, I guess I guess this, if you could add uh, an, a former player to this 2017 club team right now, I would go with Alan Ray. That's who I would want. Three point shooter, in in this type of offense, in this type of basketball. Now, it would be. It would be deadly. It'd be deadly, and I feel like we have. I was thinking Sumter at first. Sumter would actually be my second option, but I feel like we got the point guard with Jalen. That's fine. We got the lockdown defender. Not that we had one before, so that kind of rules out Lowry and Reynolds. Foy, I was thinking, but you don't really want to keep two guys who can really control the ball. I feel like that if you have Alan Ray, you would have that guy to kick out to in the corner. 
and just pop threes for days and he would nail them. And oh, I would love it. I, w- w- what about you? Oh, uh, as soon as I saw that question, Brandy Foy, buckets for days. Oh. Buckets for days. Him and Jalen, buckets for days. Oh, I know. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I, I just kind of feel like that's like kind of like a Chris Paul James Harden effect. Oh, I was actually going to bring up that comparison too, but then yeah. I was like, nope, buckets, buckets for days, buckets. For days. <laughs> there. So you're going more talent, more so than actually playing to the system. Because uh, Randy uh, Ford was the much better player, I agree. But see, I originally thought like Kyle Lowry, but then I was like, no, Randy Ford got the most buckets. So mm-hmm. him and and, and Jalen Brunson is basically Kyle Lowry. So I was like, you know, you got Brunson and Foy just going at it, getting buckets, and then whenever you feel like it, just dump it off to Omari. Fair. Fair enough. I don't know. I'm just infatuated with Alan Ray. Do you remember, do you remember the 2K games for college basketball? I don't know if you ever played them, but Alan Ray was my favorite player in that. He, I never his... got to play them. I played NCAA basketball on EA, but I did hear that 2K college hoops was where it was at. Oh, it was great. You can, like, like, not that you couldn't do recruiting on the EA one, but I, I don't know. I just liked it better. You could set your own schedule. I don't, I don't know if EA could do that. So that was just cool. And Alan Ray was my favorite. The third question from Esteban is, this is a little long-winded. Sure. Is it better for the Big East if the standings are fluid, where teams move up and down seasons to seasons, or is it better to have a more defined strata that see the same three four teams battle for first, the same two to three bring up the rear, and then a defined middle class. In other words, does the Big East need Georgetown to be good again and always be good? I think we actually kind of touched on this uh, last episode where I think I may mention that, you know, it's great that Villanova, like, runs the show in the Big East, but you would kind of like to see them, for the sake of the conference, you would kind of like to see them lose a game or two, Creighton or Xavier, just to, you know, bump them up a bit. So in, in the grand scheme of the Big East, yes, it is better for the standings to be fluid where teams are just basically beating up on each other. You don't really have one dominant team. Or I, I guess you can have one dominant team and then just kind of have them not be as dominant, I, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, you don't need Georgetown to be good. I mean, they can be bad forever. We don't really care. But <laughs> as long as the nine other teams produce. So, I mean – for the Big East itself, it, it, I, I guess it would be better, kind of have a modified answer here, like one top team that's just not as dominant as what Villanova has been, where they have the propensity to lose a game or two that they really should win, and then that kind of bumps up the lower teams. And then as a result, they get more experience, better wins, better RPI, better seedings in the tournament, and then thus more favorable matchups to then progress the, the conference in that regard. I know we have a rivalry with Georgetown or don't even think you call a rivalry as per the product that we've seen on the court from Washington, D.C. over the last couple of years. But I would like to see Georgetown good again. I would love, I think the Big East would benefit from that. I mean, it's a historic basketball tradition. We, got, we, we should be having a great rivalry with them. It would be fun if we're, you know, we we're both top dogs going at it. I think that would be great for the, for the league, especially since they're one of the original Big East teams. To answer the question... I think I would like to see the same three, four teams battle for first. The middle class fluctuates. You know, you have teams just kind of vie for that three, four spot, or they can challenge the top. And yeah, DePaul can always be at the bottom. That that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. No, I I was only joking about that George thing. No, it, it would be cool to see them good again because I this that that is the real rival of Villanova. 
let's be honest, like, as much as we hate Seton Hall, kind of cute right now and all that. But, like, if Georgetown was good again and, like, you actually had a big-time rival, I feel like Jay would play into that big time as well. I feel like he would feed off it. I mean, you got Ewing back at Georgetown, so, like, all the old-school fans, people in this fan base, especially my father who's dying for Georgetown to be good again because he wants to hate them. So, yeah, it, it would it would be good in that regard, yeah. You know, one fun fact, every Big East team has made the NCAA tournament since conference realignment, except for DePaul. <laughs> Hopefully because I put that Price is Right fail horn there, that they don't upset us at the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the year DePaul actually gets to them. Oh, that would be that would be sick. I heard they got a commit from like an eighth grader. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are they that desperate? <laughs> they got to start this early. Uh, yeah, either they offered or they got a commit. I need to double check on that. I I need to ask over at Biggie's Coast Bias, but uh, they oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they either offered or got a commit from an eighth grader. Oh boy, that's like who did that in college football first? Was it Lane Kiffin? <laughs> yeah, it was Lane Kiffin in USC. Uh, why do you have to start that? Trip? See, it was crazy because I saw the news and I was like, "Huh, class of twenty twenty. Wow, I'm like wow, that seems pretty high. I'm like, oh, this this kid must be young." And then I did the math and I was like, "Oh, wow, he's in he's in middle school. <laughs> he's in eighth grade." <laughs> oh boy. So Ramon had a couple questions for us. First question: Who is Jay recruiting at that level? To replace Bellman if he thinks Omari declares after this year. Well, I'm going to throw in a few names for you. Sure. The class of 2018, we got Cole Swider coming in. He can play some big man minutes. I mean, he's listed as one of those like stretch wing guys, you know, that could probably bang around real low. But obviously, that's not what we're looking for here. I think I think he means, you know, like a legit center or mm-hmm. power forward. Yeah. And I think to answer that question, you're going to have to look to 2019. One guy, Aiden Igehan, he's an Irish import. He's kind of under the radar because he just came to the United States hoop scene. But plays are really starting to catch on. He's a 6'10 center from New York, plays for Lawrence Woodmere Academy. He's, he's, been, he's been really picking up. He's been doing very well. Then you also have Armando Bacot. He's more of a well-known prospect. I mean, he's got all the top dogs vying for him. Five-star center. Everyone's chasing after him. He recently cut his list down to 10 schools, and Villanova made the cut. Fun fact, Georgetown also did, as did Duke, all the obvious people. Uh, Deep sigh. This third guy, he's another low-key type prospect, but he's probably going to blow up pretty soon. John Ball at Jack. He plays for a very small school, not too far from Nova, called Church Farm. I only knew of them during my City of Basketball love days, but it's a very, very small school. It's a private school. He's a 6'10 center. He has a crazy backstory from escaping civil war when he was like a baby in Africa and then come to the United States and becoming a pretty big-time basketball prospect. Never picked up the sport until he was in like eighth grade. He's still pretty raw, but, you know, 6'10 center, stocks on the rise. These three guys visited Nova at the end of last month. So Villanova's in the hunt for them. So if you're thinking center, you're thinking big man, it's probably going to be one of these three guys. I'm sure there's going to be a couple more in the mix as we get closer because it always changes. But right now, these guys seem to be in the picture. Ramon's question. I don't, I don't, I don't think Spellman would, 
leave after this year. I mean, as of right now, anyway. You don't you don't think that, do you? I honestly don't think he will either. But I mean, who knows what could happen if he posts like fifteen and ten or you know something crazy. But right now, no, that's true. Right now, I honestly I don't see him. I see him at least playing two seasons at Villanova, like I plus including the redshirt year. So I think you're actually going to see at least two seasons in which Omari Spellman will log some stats for the Wildcats. Fair enough. Is uh, Church Forum part of the Buddies Conference? I think it's actually smaller than West Town and Friends Central. Oh, even smaller than that. Yeah, even smaller oh, than that. Oh, jeez. Where, where is it? <laughs> I think it's near Exton, Exton, Pennsylvania. I think we passed it once by one of our uh, cruise sessions. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that kind of – that's not by Reading, right? No. No, 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 no. I think Reading. I think Reading's too far. I think if you hit Reading, yeah. you've got way too far. All right, all right. I, I'm not too familiar with Pennsylvania. I want to say – yeah, No, I, I definitely remember Exton. We yeah, definitely, definitely like 40 – what, 30, 40 minutes away? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for John Ball and Jack, his prospects right now are pretty much limited to the Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. So mm-hmm. I think it's only a matter of time before other people start catching up. Last question of the day. What can we re- realistically expect from Booth if tendonitis doesn't go away? If he's still hurt, honestly, you're probably expecting what he stats similar to what he had in fifteen sixteen. You know, low shooting percentages, really frustrating games. I mean, I feel like he, I feel like he might have do a little bit better just because I don't think his numbers will be that bad again. Because those those numbers were pretty horrendous, especially after his fantastic freshman year, and I think he'll, he's kind of learned how to play through the pain now. So I guess I guess expect a little bit of better numbers, but I still don't think you're going to get freshman year Phil Booth if he's still hurt. Yeah, I think it's a number. I do agree with that. I think his numbers would be slightly better than his sophomore season during that championship run when he was playing with a torn meniscus. I don't think they'll be as bad as they were in those three games he played last year. Definitely not that bad. So besides the homecoming game, we got a few other things going down this weekend. First mm-hmm. off, men's and women's cross country. They got the Big East Championships this weekend. Men's team, they're looking to win for the first time since going back-to-back in 2013-14. And as for the women's team, they're, they were runner-ups last year, but they're going for their first title since 2011. So they, they're already doing Big East tournament stuff. That's that is crazy. Yeah, cross country operates on a very early schedule. And it's weird because they only have like meets every other week, and then it, before you know it, boom, biggest championship. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got to get the races in before it gets too cold, so I guess that makes sense. But still, it's still weird to think that it's October twenty sixth. Yeah, and they're they're pretty much done this weekend. Women's volleyball—they're going to Butler in a battle of the of top four teams in the Big East. Villanova's in third place. Butler's in fourth. Won't be an easy one. They play Saturday at 6 p.m. Do they have a little bit of wiggle room, right? Because top four make the Big East tournament. Is that yes. true? Yes, yes, okay. yes. So yeah, it won't top. be completely devastating if they lose. Correct. But yeah, Butler's, Butler's in hot pursuit. But yeah, top four teams advance to the 14 playoff around Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Men's soccer, they host Providence this Saturday at 1 p.m. Uh, yeah, this one should be uh, an easy one, at least you would think, based on the. Friars past a uh, couple of weeks, they haven't won in two weeks, and they haven't scored a goal in in this time frame as well. Then their record sits at four, four, seven, and four. Villanova at home against a 
not so good Friars team. Expect a dub. On the flip side of that, you got women's soccer. They're closing out their season at Butler tonight at 7 p.m. Their season's done already. All right. Butler's sitting at 11-1-5, and they haven't lost the Big East play, and they haven't lost since August. Um, And it's at Butler. Yeah, uh, I'm giving this one to the Bulldogs. Yeah, it's strange. Women's soccer, their season ends like a couple weeks or maybe one or two weeks earlier. I don't know if they start sooner. I, I should double-check the calendar just because, I don't know, August seems like an eternity ago. But, yeah, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, no, I guess if, yeah, if they haven't lost since August, I guess they were playing in August. So, yeah, I guess they do kind of start like either right off the bat or – just before last but not least field hockey they're heading over to georgetown tomorrow afternoon hopefully they look to build upon the momentum of that senior day win and uh, beat the real blood rivals that's all the time we have for today thank you for listening to the state of the nova nation if you haven't already please subscribe to us on apple podcasts or on podomatic also check back on our website at viewhoops.com we got the player previews there still rolling by. We're going to have some Villanova Media Day content coming up. It should be fun. It should be fun, and we'll have some coverage for this weekend's football game. Follow us on Twitter, at Few Hoops. Like our page on Facebook. And also, you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at The Stansman on Twitter. Have a good weekend of Nation. Hope to see you all at homecoming.